0: Backup and disaster recovery solutions came into the market in the 1970s. Now, at the time, however, the primary concerns were driven by power outages. And in some parts of Asia, this remains true even today. Now, the Morris worm that hit 10% of internet-connected computers in a span of 24 hours may have ushered the strategy of wiping systems to get rid of malware, a practice that is still done these days for many, though, as a last resort. Today, with more businesses relying on cloud services to conduct their business, it is not surprising that the cloud backup market alone is expected to grow from $4.57 billion in 2023 to $13.85 billion by 2028. Now the primary driver for adopting cloud backup across businesses is the need for agility and flexibility in the face of accelerating innovation and disruptions from competitors due to the increase in cloud adoption. Or so we're told. With so much depending on the cloud, we ask Abi Purush Hotaman, Vice President and General Manager for Asia at Rubrik to give us an update on backup strategies for the digital native economy. Abi, welcome to podcast for future CIO.
1: Alan, pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's a great honor.
0: In the digital economy, how important is backup and recovery today?
1: Clearly, I think like you mentioned in the introduction, uh, backup and recovery has been in the industry for decades now. If you look at how that industry evolved, for many years, backup was a way to address low-frequency, high-impact events. Think natural disaster, Think human error. Think uh, some of the examples that you took, which is basically loss of data due to something that happened at a low frequency, but at a high impact. We live in an era where we need solutions for high frequency, high impact events, which is, for example, a cyber attack. The other thing about backup and recovery solutions over the years, backup was created with this thought process about moving the data fast storing the data cheap. For 30, 40, 50 years, all the backup companies iterated and reiterated and innovated on how can you move the data fast. Why? Because networks were slow. Because you didn't want production applications to be impacted when I'm taking a backup. You didn't want the little window on your desktop that said backup window happening cannot service you. So you want to move the data fast so that your backup windows are reduced. The second problem they innovated and found wonderful solutions save the data cheap. Storage was costly. Disks were costly. So you wanted deduplications. You wanted deduplications. One is to 10. One is to 15. One is to 20. Uh, One copy of the data. All the stuff that saved the disk space. What is happening today? Network is cheap. 40 gig LANs are common. Even across the internet, the speeds are increasing across the region. So moving the data fast is no longer today's problem. Storing the data cheap. My phone has got a one terabyte disk space and it is only $600. Disk is no longer costly. That's another problem that you don't want to solve today because storing the data cheap is no longer a problem. You dump into a S3 blob storage in cloud, that actually costs you lesser than storing in on-prem in a disk sometimes in certain countries. So think of this right? Backups were innovated and created in an era where you had low frequency, high impact events and solved the problem of moving the data fast, storing the data cheap. All of them don't exist today. What exists today is high frequency, high impact problems in the name of cyber events and organizations are looking at resilience rather than recovery. There is no need to backup if you can't recover properly and if you can't address this question of when my high frequency, high impact event happens. Can you recover easily? Can I detect the malware? Can I recover and be assured that my data is not exfiltrated, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The questions to which the products were created and the technology was created has changed, which means the technology needs to change.
0: So are you implying then that with us having access to faster technologies uh, and, and, and cheaper storage, has the cloud made backups obsolete?
1: Uh, Clearly not. Traditional backups with the problems that they used to solve is clearly slowly becoming obsolete. But what cloud and what these changes, digital explosion and the explosion of data has made is that you rethink backup as to why it is done and how it is done. So think of backup as a way to achieve data protection and cyber resiliency. So you have this collection of data, of mission critical, important data that your business runs on in a backup. We never used to do that to fight against cyber criminals. We never used to do that to fight against cyber attack. That was never your last line of defense. In today's world, that is your last line of defense. Think of Asia. According to a report that we commissioned and according to a publicly available report, in 2022, Asia was the number one attacked region by ransomware in the world. It is expected that in the next 10 years, we'll face a ransomware attack every two seconds somewhere in the world. Every two seconds. In 2023, we had 52 ransomware attacks for an average ent- enterprise. That is one attack every week. We are living in a world where we have this high frequency, high impact events. Cybersecurity industry is traditionally focused on what I call prevention. Millions and millions of dollars have been spent on preventing the bad actor to get in. We believe at True Break, and I personally believe that it is time that we invest a bit of that money in resilience recovery because the bad actor is eventually going to get in. For every dollar that is spent on creating a prevention technology, there is somebody sitting in one of the countries creating a solution to get in. So we need to start looking at cyber resilience as a posture for every large enterprise. And how do you reach there? You reach there by going after the most important critical data source in the company, which is backup. So we need to revitalize backup to make it as the last line of defense, make sure that the attackers, the bad actors, cannot destroy your backup or cannot compromise your ability to get back to business when an attack happens. The question is only when, Uh, it's not if anymore.
0: If the focus should be more on cyber resilience, how do you apply this imperative to be cyber resilient where you have more organizations where their standard for cloud is a hybrid model?
1: This is a very complicated world that we live in. Your data is across, uh, like you said, across different sources. You, you don't have a single source of truth, even though everybody claims to have uh, go behind the real nirvana state of having one single source of truth, but doesn't exist in enterprises. Because businesses are transforming, there is a legacy business that runs using legacy sources. There's a cloud-native, digital-native business that runs using different set of sources. So your data is distributed. Therein lies the problem, right? The problem is your data is distributed. You have no idea where your sensitive data is. You have no idea of your security posture. So the cyber resilience of today... And the cyber resilience of a digital cloud native tomorrow needs to not only back up the data. So we will move very quickly from backing up to first understanding where the data resides, like posture. What is your posture on-prem? What is your posture private cloud? What is your posture on public cloud? How much of data is in each of these areas and what kind of data it is, who is accessing the data, which users are accessing the data, how much of that data is sensitive. In a cyber attack, if my cloud account credentials are compromised, how much of my data can be exfiltrated? If my private cloud accounts can be exfiltrated through an insider attack, how much of data will be compromised? So this whole user activity, sensitive data discovery, data posture has all come together to be able to create the cyber resilience posture that I'm talking about. When I say cyber resilience, I don't mean only from a legacy backup of on-prem world. I mean combining posture, combining resiliency to give you true cyber recovery, to give you true cyber resilience across everywhere where the data lives.
0: We were talking about hybrid cloud backup solutions. There's plenty in the market, sometimes so much that uh, it's very difficult to differentiate between one and another solution. There's always this potential that this availability of so many options can create one confusion among the users or companies that will deploy these eventually, and in some cases, even create gaps in the way an organization is able to protect the data that it's stored. And as you say, the data could be stored anywhere and they may not necessarily know where it is and who's using it and how much it is protected. Do you think it is better for organizations at the point where they're selecting which solution is they should go for to limit the number of options available for them as opposed to, hey, I'm in a supermarket type and I, oh God. Depending on what aisle I want, the technology is different from that area.
1: This is an age old problem that large enterprises face. And I empathize with that problem because I've been in the market for 30 years and I've, I've seen this play out from the time of Y2K. Small enterprises, digital natives, startups do not carry baggage. So they have the ability to get comprehensive technology platforms across security, across cloud, invested in right at the start. Large enterprises, banks, manufacturing companies, companies that have grown over the past 100 years carry what I call tech debt. And that's not easy to get away from because some of the tech debt is is very critical in terms of how they've built the foundation Of their companies. So, what we see in most of the organizations that we deal with across the region is every organization post COVID has realized that you need to have like two pillars. One pillar called run the show run the business. The other pillar called grow the business. The run the business is a set of IT teams and set of technology teams who are managing and grappling with this complexity, trying to find out solutions, trying to work with multiple technologies, trying to bring all of them together, uh, trying to find what I call a compromised way of running the show, keeping the lights on. And then we have this, and some organizations, they are under the guise of CTO, CDO, different names, grow the business. These are arms of the business that are tasked with creating newer go-to-market, new omni-channel uh, customer presence, ability to do things differently from the legacy organization, ability to create new workloads who are cloud-based, standards-based, ability to differentiate their services in the market, right? Even traditional businesses like manufacturing and mining and oil generation and power generation, businesses have also gone into this whole grow the business mindset. And those businesses are built like those cloud native, new age, digital channel business within the organization. They go into what you just suggested about going into the market with an understanding of what they really want because they have what I call a blank sheet of paper to draw. Whereas they run the business teams, grapple with this whole supermarket behavior, as you said, a lot of that is, you know, I empathize with him because a lot of that is because of technical debt that they have carried over the years. Uh, That is because of the technologies that they had to rely on and I think there's no one single solution unfortunately that fits all because I think there is going to be a convergence of the run the business and the grow the business teams in the future that will be an opportunity for them to kind of clear out some of the technical debts but my view of that market today my view of the whole tech market across Asia today is we are way way ahead of where we were five years ago in terms of our understanding of investing into what is the future versus preserving what what I have always been using. I think that is considerably changed over the last five years.
0: Now, you do realize that the CIO and slash CTO, well, CTO tends to be more grow the business, whereas the CIO means, okay, I'll help you grow the business, but I also need to make sure the business is still running. So if these guys have to do this, both run the business and potentially grow the business, how do they then decide in the here and now? Because they can't wait for whatever future technology is that will help them finally resolve this issue. In the here and now, I have to protect the data that I have and the users that have access to that data. What are my options?
1: I think clearly what we see across the board, and this needs to happen, and this is happening by the way, is that organizations going into what I call an assumed breach mode you assume that you're breached. Long gone are the days where you could have, you could assume that behind the firewall, your world is private. You can have open protocols. You can write using NFS. You can write using HTTP. You can keep your port 80 open internally because I'm inside the firewall. Doesn't happen anymore. Why do you think that of the 93% ransomware attacks happened in the last year, 72% of the ransomware attacks went and destroyed backups first 72% 72% of the attackers went and destroyed back. Because backup assumed that it's a backup software writing to a storage system using open protocol. Oh, I'm inside the firewall. I can do whatever I want. That world no longer exists. Organizations have to go into what we call assumed breach posture. Which means that we need to bring in infrastructure people who handle backup and infrastructures and security people with the CISO organization that handle security together to say, how do we protect your data? Traditionally, you look at any organization, backup was handled by infrastructure teams. Security and cyber resilience was a CISO problem. But if if 73% of your ransomware attack went and destroyed backup, you want to bring them together to say, how do we find the solution of this data recovery problem? From a technology standpoint, executives, security teams, infrastructure teams, even board of directors have to ask some of the critical questions during peace time and war time. Are we protected from open backups? Are our backup technologies uh, and our last line of defense, are they protected? Are they not just immutable, but are they immutable in a way that an external actor cannot come and fiddle around with that backup? When an attack happens, what's the blast radius? Where did my attack go? How much of data did they encrypt? They are saying they got my sensitive data. Are they bluffing or did they really get my sensitive data? What's the impact of the data? How much of data is exfiltered? And how much of that data is sensitive? And most importantly, we've been through some very, very significant ransomware attacks in our life. About 5,000 customers, we provide uh, ransomware response teams from our side. One of the questions that boards always ask, CEOs always ask in the state of panic in the first 24 hours of a ransomware attack is, do we have a clean copy that we can recover from? That answer usually takes 7, 10, 14, 15, 20, sometimes a month. And that's the answer that you need to drive your entire cyber resiliency posture against. When an attack happens and when everything else is compromised, can we confidently say we have a clean copy that we can recover?
0: Trying to digest all of what you said, assume breach, uh, the time to recover being days to maybe even up to a month. What is the best way to optimize backups or backup strategies where the IT infrastructure or strategy revolves around a hybrid multi-cloud environment?
1: I think one of the things that organizations need to look at uh, especially when you consider what we discussed earlier, the run the business organization and grow the business organization is, first is to understand where you are. What's your current data security posture, where are your crown jewels, where does your data reside today, which are the crown jewels, which are the ones that you cannot survive tomorrow with if they get exfiltered or if they get compromised. You'd be amazed to know large enterprises probably don't have an answer to that. They know what are the critical applications, but when it comes to data, when it comes to crown jewels, when it comes to sensitive data, when it comes to access to sensitive data, Larger the organization, more complex the problem because of what he just said, because it's hybrid, because it's everywhere. So first is to an assessment of what are those clown jewels. Second aspect of that is to when you understand your data and you understand the risk associated with your data, you can create a strategy. To be able to restore that data with confidence. We strongly believe that obviously all the investments that you have made in prevention of attacks and prevention of cyber events is very important and continue to be important. I don't want to come across as somebody who says, oh, prevention is not important. It is really important. I always use this example with CIOs, right? Like you build a house in a highway, you'd of course build doors and windows, right? So that people don't get in. The bigger bungalow, the bigger villa you build, the bigger number of doors and windows that you build. But assume you buy a $10 million diamond. Just because you have doors and windows in the house, you don't place it on the dining table. You build a safe deposit box. You put numerical locks on it. And then you put your crown jewel, your diamond inside that. Even though your house has got very strong windows and doors so think of cyber resilience strategy in the world of data as prevent prevention technologies are important they will continue to be important but every organization needs to have that safe deposit box every organization needs to have place where you keep your crown jewels of data to make sure that you can move on and thrive even if you are attacked and that in a super distributed hybrid world is not as easy as it sounds It requires intentional investments in both the cloud space, in the private cloud space, as well as in the legacy on-prem run-the-business space to be able to bring all that crown jewels into one safe deposit box so that you can probably sleep peacefully.
0: What sort of trends can we expect in the short term? Two, three years from now, that organizations need to be prepared for to help them be a little bit more resilient as it comes to, you know, you're saying in a few years time, it's every two seconds we'll have a ransomware attack. How do we mitigate that risk through backup and recovery at least?
1: I think first and foremost, we need to agree everybody in the world that cyber attacks are inevitable. It's just the reality of the world that we live in. Ransomware and extortion is an economy that grows faster than any product companies in the world. I recently read somewhere that Cyber Attack as a Service, Cyber Criminals as a Service, CAAS, exists and is growing, massively growing, funded by nation state actors, criminal actors. That industry is growing faster than most of the product companies in the world. So there is money, there is intent, it's going to happen. Data extortion, ransomware attacks will continue to pick speed. As an organization that needs to grow and do businesses, we have to prepare ourselves against the cyber attack. Infrastructure security alone, while important, is not sufficient. We have to prioritize data security. Number two is, a lot of people believe ransom payments are the answer. Unfortunately, ransom payments are not the answer. We did a survey recently about all the organizations who paid ransom. Right? We went went to those people who paid the ransom. Are the 72% people who paid ransom, only 16%, 1616, got their data back fully. Oh. The others were thrown a key, saying, "Oh, go and un- un- unencrypt yourself." They couldn't get their data back. They just couldn't get their business back on their time frame. I'm talking about 100% data. So, ransom payments are not the answer. And for cyber criminals, data repositories like backup are hunting grounds. They are looking for penetrating into unprotected data behind your firewall. So, you have to make sure that, like I said, nine out of ten organizations reporting cyber attack had their backups con- compromised. So we have to make sure that the data repositories are are protected. The other trend that we see is we believe that moving over to the next 5-10 years, this whole protection, data resiliency is not one person's game. This is an ecosystem game. This is a game of ecosystems. This is a game of shared responsibility. So we talk about the ecosystem and shared responsibility. At Rubrik, we believe that we can't solve world problems. We have to work with the prevention companies. We have to work with all the others. So one of the stuff that we did is we worked very closely with Zscaler. Zscaler is protecting the data at rest in motion. We integrated closely with Zscaler to give them sensitive data information from our backups so that Zscaler knows when that data is moved because we are collecting backup. We are in a very good position to get incremental data every hour, every two hours. We know what sensitive data is there in customers' infrastructure because we are looking at it every day for, for vulnerabilities, for anomalies, for... Known infections, etc. We are now providing that data to Zscaler. Another ecosystem partner that we work very closely with is Microsoft. So Microsoft has uh, recently innovated Sentinel into one of their conversational AI platforms to be able to provide response to cyber attacks, so that you don't need a PhD to be able to respond. Use a conversational AI, use generative AI to be able to respond. We have integrated with them closely. Microsoft being one of our investors, we are very proud to be partnering with Microsoft to be able to provide an integrated solution to give customers and organizations an easier way of handling these cyber attacks. I think this is what you would see moving forward. You'd see collaborated efforts by organizations who are in the prevention space and in the resilience space to be able to come together and give customers an easier option to be able to minimize the downtime, minimize the data loss and navigate the trade-offs around uh, how you can recover faster. Eventually, I think we have to realize that every technology, like for example, AI, while it can be used for good, it can be also good for bad. If we are using AI to develop solutions, cyber attackers and cyber criminals are using AI for sophisticated attacks like phishing, evasion, automatic malware generation, mission to mission attacks, etc. We just need to employ AI for advanced threat detection, response, and augment human capabilities to develop countermeasures. I think in the world of tomorrow, we just have to simply fight fire with fire.
0: Abi, thank you for joining us on podcasts for future CIO.
1: Thank you, Alan, for having me. Enjoy the conversation.
0: That was Abhilash Purusha Thaman, Vice President and General Manager for Asia at Rubrik on the topic of time for cyber resilience as a security posture. You are listening in the podcast for Future CIO. As always, if you have a topic you'd like us to cover on this channel, simply email us at editors at society.com. We also like to invite you to sign up for a free weekly newsletter so you won't miss an episode of Podcast for Future CIO. In the meantime, stay safe, have a great day, and see you on the next episode of Podchats for Future CIO. Bye for now.